Hi, this is Mona, and this is Aaliyah. You are listening to A Devil's Tale. I'm excited for this case, but I think you might hate it, Mona. You'll see why. <laughs> It's a funny reason. This takes place in Malaysia. On January 15th, 1956, Mazna Ismail was born in Malaysia. There's not much known about Mazna's early life other than she loved to perform and was always singing and dancing from the time she was a child. As an adult, Mazna pursues her love of singing and eventually meets her biggest fan and soon-to-be husband, Muhammad Norafandi Abdul Rahman. When they get married, he pledges to fund her path to pop stardom. Mazna adapts the stage name Mona Fendi. <laughs> I laughed. Yeah, I'm gonna be tortured this whole episode. I'm gonna call her Mona for the rest of it too. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I was like, you're gonna, you're gonna hate it a little bit. In 1987, her and her husband self-produced an album called Diana Number、no. One. It's got this very tropical cover art that looks like it's made for a cassette. The backdrop is a ton of palm trees, and Mona is holding a palm leaf in her hand. <laughs> her arms have gold bangles down them, and she's got layers of gold necklaces on top of a white tank top. She's got super short hair, and I'm not sure if this is a cultural thing or something I'm just not familiar with. But it looks like she has a tie on her head, like a suit and tie. But it's tied onto her head. There's also a music video, and it actually looks like it has a decent production value, especially for that time period. That's called Radapanana, so you can watch that on YouTube too. I would definitely recommend it. Actually, I don't know if we can include a clip in here. The music itself, I'm not great at describing, but it feels very what you'd expect for that time period and location. It's got a very '80s vibe to it. Her voice is pretty smooth. I'm definitely gonna include a clip at the end of the episode so people can like rock out. That'll be cool. You know how like in a lot of Hindi music, it's that high pitched type of vocal sound. Mm-hmm. It's kind of similar to that, so I think that's why some people don't resonate with it. But I thought it was okay. I liked it.、Um, I when I played it though, chalk. If you don't know, Chalk is my cat. Totally freaked out. I had to turn it off because she was just angry. She just started running in circles, which she usually doesn't do. The album doesn't take off, and despite all her efforts, the singing career just is not happening for her. At this point, Mona's reaching her mid to late thirties, and she switches careers. She becomes a bomo. There's not really a Western equivalent of a bomo, but essentially it's a healer or a shaman. Type one is a bomo who doesn't care if you want them to practice black magic or white magic. Their sole interest is if they will get monetary gain from your quest. The other type of bomo is one who will only practice white magic, and they'll turn you away if you ask for any type of black magic or something that does not seem good. Mona, it seems. Becomes the former type of bomo. She began offering her services to clients, mostly from upper class society. She allegedly also had politician clients in the ruling UMNO party. So UMNO is the United Malays National Organization. Her services started to become in high demand. She and her husband became so successful they were reportedly able to purchase several mansions. 
They are also said to have an island near Phuket. They bought at the price of 5.8 million ringgit, which is roughly 1.5 million USD. According to Mona, she planned to turn the island into a casino with the help of partners from the United States and Europe. I'll be kind of honest, I'm a bit suspicious of their success, and I do question how they were able to produce the music and the music video before that. I wonder kind of if there was money already in the picture a little bit. I mean, I guess that era shamans did make a lot of money, but to the point that they can buy private islands, that's a bit much. Yeah. In 1993, the couple was approached by Maslan Idris, a Pahang assemblyman and a rising politician. Maslan was reportedly eyeing the chief minister post, and he wanted the couple to help him get it. So Mona promises to help Maslan by offering him a staff, a songkop, and a talisman supposedly owned by former Indonesian president Sukarno, which consists of tongkat. The talisman would apparently make Maslan invincible. Tonkat is basically an herb. It's like used for medicinal purposes, and it's commonly used for male infertility. Songkok is a traditional hat a lot of Muslims wear. In exchange, Maslan agreed to pay Mona and her husband 2.5 million ringgit, which is around 600,000 USD, for their services. In the 90s? That's a lot of money. It is. So, I mean, maybe it is possible that they bought that private island, but it just, how do you even get in the same room with these people if you're not already wealthy? Maslan reportedly paid an upfront of $100,000 to them and 10 land titles as a guarantee for the remaining payment. Shortly after Mona got the payment, she arranged for Maslan to visit her at her home in Rabhang for a black magic cleansing ritual. I've also seen that this might have been a floral bath or a mandibunga ritual. The purpose of a flower bath ritual is normally meant to remove bad luck or ward off spirits and can increase a person's aura in the hopes to attract good luck and positivity. There's also different flower varieties that you can mix in with the flower bath that will give you different effects. Maslan arrived at Mona's home for the cleansing ritual. The couple's assistant Hassan was there to help with the ritual. Mona had Maslan lie down on the floor with his eyes closed and told him to wait for the money to fall from the sky. As Maslan waited, Mona placed flowers on his body and flowers over his eyes. But no money rained down on Maslan. Instead, the sharpened blade of an axe fell upon Maslan's neck three times until he was decapitated. There's a photo and an illustration of this axe along with two machete-like knives. I'm guessing there were three weapons so that each of them could wield one. So Mona, her husband, and her assistant. Maslan was then dismembered and cut into 18 pieces. I found another image that's taken from a local newspaper. It's a yellow diagram with the red outline of a body that has multiple solid lines and dashed lines through it. The caption translates to, Divorce diagram of the Tuk Maslan's cut body. It shows that his feet, shins, thighs, torso, hands, forearms were all separated. I'm not certain, but I think the dotted lines represent where he was partially skinned, which was primarily along his face and head. He was then buried in a hole near Mona's home about 
130 kilometers northeast of Kuala Lumpur and covered with cement. The day after, Mona went on a shopping spree and later bought herself a Mercedes-Benz and had a facelift. And it's a bit eerie because when you look at her music video, she's got like round, like soft features. She's in her like 30s around then, but she still looks pretty youthful. But post this murder, when the majority of the photos of her that are out were taken, her cheeks just really kind of jut out and her eyes seem to always be like constantly lit up like opened i'm not sure if it's from this facelift or it's more about just an expression she's making maslan was reported missing on july 2nd 1993 after he had withdrawn 300,000 ringgit around 70,000 usd from a kuala lumpur bank and miss several UMNO functions. But after that, the case kind of hits a dead end and there are no more leads. So obviously it's not him who did that transaction, but that kind of sends a signal that something's off. But by chance, a few days later after that big transaction happens, Mona's assistant, Hassan, was picked up by the police over a totally unrelated offense. He was thought to be high, using drugs, and when he was picked up by the police, he confessed that he had been involved in Maslan's murder. His statements to the police led to the discovery of Maslan's remains, and Mona and her husband immediately afterwards became prime suspects for this murder. Before I keep going, I just want to see what are your thoughts here because as I'm kind of thinking about what they were trying to plan and their motive, I can't make sense of it because they had a ton of money. Right. This is what I literally been thinking the whole time. I wasn't sure where this story was going. I thought Mona was going to get killed because she has the money and she kind of was a pop star public figure. I didn't realize that she was going to go kill somebody because what's the point? It's not like she's been doing this her whole life. She's in her late 30s at this point. She's married. She's wealthy. She has multiple houses. She can just live very well for the rest of her life. That's what I don't get. Well, maybe she practiced all these dark arts and she was possessed somehow. That's kind of, I mean, if we go there, that's the only explanation I have. I was kind of thinking about that, like maybe it's more related to the black magic. Also, I mean, could be mental illness. Yeah, I have like some kind of suspicions because she meets her husband and then kind of all these things start unfolding. She's the one who's centered in all of these stories and cases and articles and her husband's kind of sidelined but he's really there with her he's there you know helping her with her career i just feel like there's more to him you think he is the master manipulator behind the scene i think so so hassan leads the police to mona's house and when you enter the house there's a self-portrait of mona hanging on the wall and a large shelf full of herbs and different bottled oils which you use to practice Adjacent to her house is an unfinished storeroom, but it's a small brick building surrounded with thick tropical vegetation and tall grass with either a dilapidated or unfinished foundation of another building in front of it. When you get inside, it's quite empty, the floors are all concrete, and there are just some random items stored throughout, like velvet armchairs, an antique writing desk, and a small radio. There's a doorway in the back, that leads to the spot where they buried Maslan. He was buried about two meters 
six feet underground. I think these might be from the police report, but there are a series of photos that are of his body being excavated from the concrete. And so in the photos, you see kind of the concrete level. And as it goes deeper, you see more body parts being uncovered. So they really just layered it within that six feet. However, even after all of that excavation, his entire body was still not found. This led to theories that Mona and her husband may have eaten his body. After the authorities find the body and they excavate it, Mona and her husband are soon apprehended. All three of them were charged with murder under Section 302 of the Malaysian Penal Code, which comes with a mandatory death sentence if found guilty. During the trial, Mona exhibited very odd behavior. She dressed very fashionably for the trials, and she was smiling in every single picture taken of her. Looking at some of the photos, it looks like she's a celebrity with paparazzi following her. Just the way she's posing, and it's kind of odd. And she genuinely looks happy in these photos. Oh yeah, I just saw the photo you sent me. Yeah, she does not look normal. No one would be smiling like that. It, it's really creepy to look at, especially looking at her before in the music videos and then looking at her in those photos. It is so creepy. Maybe she really wants to be famous and whichever way she gets it is better than nothing. It's true. I mean, this in a way, you know, did that for her. So during the trial, she did some other weird things too. She told Justice Mokhtar Sidin that she was a singer and even offered to sing in court, but that was politely declined. Mona! <laughs> right, it's so kind of cringy. There's another time she spoke in a language no one knew she could speak, and apparently she spoke it perfectly, which is very, very odd. And she even said, thank you for putting me in such nice stories and pictures. If they killed this man so she can get famous, that is fucked up. Yeah, and so I was thinking, it's so weird that this is the case, like this is the murder. As they're doing these trials, they actually find that their human remains in some of their other homes, including the remains of children. But they're not charged for any of those. They don't really go any further than just saying that they found some remains. Earlier, I didn't want to interrupt you too much. When they were killing this person and dismembering him and also the way they buried him, I was gonna say it doesn't sound like a first kill. But the thing with how they buried him is that it was a six foot hole that they put him in and it's in this foundation of a building, really. You can't just do that after you murder someone that was prepared. So it's, it's just very suspect, like how they prepared the knives, how they went about the body, how there was already the hole. It feels like this isn't their first time doing it. In the end, all three of them were found guilty and consequently sentenced to death. Udasan reporters asked Mona how she wanted to spend the rest of her life in prison, and she responded, I just want to smile. Once she gets to prison, there are so many larger-than-life rumors that kind of match this larger-than-life personality she has. So some prison guards said that she could float in her cell, that she recited her prayers backwards, and she could do, you know, other magical things. But Mona denies all of it. But there are other journalists who report otherwise. So there's this one who bumped into her, and she spit on him, and he was driven into tears. 
just like for the fear of being spit on by her. And another one reportedly got so delirious that he slammed his face on the toilet. But these interactions happened before she went to jail or after? After jail. So they were interviewing her in jail and then they had these interactions. Actually, the spitting was when she was um, on trial. And the other reporter, after he interviewed her in jail, he went delirious and hit himself at the toilet. Yeah, that's how the story goes, but it's not, there's not a lot to verify it. And it's interesting too, because in response to this, one of her ex-husband comments, and I couldn't find any information about her ex-husbands other than this comment that he said. And it was, quote, Mona didn't even want to kill Aunt. When she wants to fish for lunch, she cries, let alone wanting to cut a human being. And apparently, Nora Fondi, the man she murdered with, is her third husband. The trio appealed their case, but it gets denied, and they're set to hang in 2001 in Kishang Prison. And they were allowed to spend their last days with family. And then they were given a last meal of KFC. And then on November 2nd, which is my birthday, uh, they were all hung. <laughs> right before hanging, Mona said, Aku takan mati, which translates to, I will never die. After this, because it took such a huge toll on everyone and it was so dramatic and turbulent, they ended up um, discontinuing trial by juries after this case. And there was a huge push to try and get magic outlawed. Another interesting thing. So there was this movie made called Dukin that is heavily influenced by her. And it was um, banned for 11 years before being released on Facebook in 2018. And it's a story of like, it's a horror film about her life. I kind of have some like theories though about what went down if she really believes in this black magic right and this is something that's a core belief for her i wonder if it wasn't really for monetary gain but she was performing like a different type of ritual during these because just the way everything was done and the bodies being cut in the way they were it feels very ritualistic and I don't see that there's anything really to gain monetary wise. Why would like you're getting a million dollars basically to do this for politicians? Why wouldn't you just keep that up if there wasn't another thing? Right. And plus, if it worked out for him, he probably will come back and bring more clients. So that's more money for her down the road. Exactly. There, there was a mention in the trial that that politician owed them money. Yeah, but it's not like they're waiting for that paycheck to live off. So I still don't see that they will give up their life over some money in this one person. I think your first theory may be the best bet. That it's some type of ritual. Mm-hmm. It's not like she really grew up in a temple or it wasn't like she f is from a family that has relationships being spiritual leaders or anything and she kind of just picked it up out of nowhere so she could have let down a really bad path and got misguided and she did say she'll never die so maybe she sacrificed him to be like immortal or something <laughs> i know i really wonder what she meant by that you know is it just about the fame and the notoriety or is it you know something more tangible in her mind she did a trade with the devil
to all of our listeners, thank you for all of your support so far. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at a devil's tale. Please say hi in the comment section and feel free to DM us. If you have any feedback and story requests, you can email us at a devil's tale at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe if you have enjoyed all the stories so far. Thank you so much for tuning in again, and we will see you next time.